Daniel, I am at a loss here. What's going on? Uh, this this book, dude. It is uh, it is something else. It is a lot of things, and I, I that sounds that sounds like it's a negative, but I don't mean that in the slightest. It's it's there are a lot of things going on there, um, textually, subtextually, metatextually. You know, it's just it's I don't know. We've we've done quite a few books so far, at least in my estimation. You know, and this you know of, of all the books that we've done, I think in many ways this is the most artful one. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think the only thing that might come close is House of Leaves, but that it's it's not it's not close to the same. No, they're 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 pretty different although ostensibly they both have that sort of um maybe sort of postmodern a little certain postmodern aspects to it but and, and the and the sort of auspice the broader auspice of a horror story but that's really just kind of grasping at straws at best to liken those two together yeah uh welcome to the sad boys book club my name is dusty and i'm daniel and we're finishing up Beloved today. Yes. Um, you know, we kind of we kind of just gave the, the the in that little opening monologue, we kind of hit how we were feeling after all that, but just just to kind of sum it all up, it's this was a a really excellent book and um I don't know, I'm very very happy that we ended up uh doing it this month. Yeah, I I think this was a great choice from you, and I I, I think um, objectively speaking, this is probably the best book we've covered. It's it's something, all right. Yeah, um, yeah, it's you know not to sound too much like I did last week, but I I really am at a bit of a loss here with this one. It's just. I don't know. It, it's so much to take in, and I'm still just kind of trying to parse it. Mm-hmm. It probably doesn't help that I actually just finished reading it like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> well, I, I guess I guess it is kind of tough. You you you're kind of coming in pretty cold. Yeah, which on the one hand you say, "Oh, that's really fresh," but on the other hand, it's like it hasn't quite digested yet. Yeah, at least I mean, not 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 the last like two two chapters or so the last like 10 to 12 pages or what i just read mm-hmm. um man i guess i guess I'll, I'll i'll ask you this um even though you may not have a like a, a, a real sense of uh things like to uh you know you're, you're still kind of digesting all that how how did you feel coming away from the book um A little, a little empty, if I'm being honest. It's interesting. I'm just kind of, I'm kind of left, left at a loss here. Like, um, I mean, it really does just kind of end. 
and there's not really so much a resolution more so than there there is just a um so this has happened and now this is what we do to move forward but i feel like the only person moving forward is denver by the end of the book well kind of i i think there's there's reason to hope for setha and paul dean I think the, their final exchange towards the end, and maybe we could talk about all this, was pretty heartening, all things considered. I, I, I don't know. I feel like there's a chance she survives, but I, I, you know, the parallels that Paul D made to her and Baby Suggs in her bed weren't lost on me. Yeah. The only thing we were missing was Setha talking about colors. Well, that's true, but, you know, like I said, there, there's a little bit of hope. We can get to that. Um, last week, we didn't really summarize, so I, I would like to summarize this week, um, if we Please. can, I, I think, because I think it's, I think it's important that we kind of give a broader context to the story before we jump in. Yeah, by all means, I will let you take the lead on this one, because uh, I think you will probably do it more justice than I can. Alright, sounds good. Well, so essentially, the story starts um, in the immediate uh, post-war, well, maybe not immediate, immediate, but like within, a, you know, less than a decade after the end of the Civil War in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, there is a family that lives together at this house that is uh, comprised of the main character, Setha, her daughter, Denver, her mother-in-law, uh, Baby Suggs, and initially her two sons, Howard and Bugler. Um, I say initially because before really the beginning of the story, they run away. Um, and this is something that is kind of a recurring theme and this is one of the reasons why the sort of you've heard of cold open kind of a cold ending this this kind of works for me because in the time of you know the 1800s it was a lot easier for people to go missing and uh never be heard from again or just to leave you know straight up and um uh as as uh as as I'm sure it surprises no one, that that could be doubly true for uh, for black people, uh, just to you know be gone one day and never be heard from again. Um, but anyway, and there's there's an initial home life, and uh, Howard and Bugler run away. They run away because the house is haunted. Uh, there is a, the ghost of a baby that is living there. The ghost of uh, Setha's oldest daughter and uh, this this daughter this oldest daughter is a, a ghost but she's perceived at least by baby Suggs um, her mother-in-law and, and Setha uh, not to be a particularly malicious entity um, in fact I think um, I think uh, is it was it baby Suggs or Setha herself who said the ghost isn't angry it's just sad i think it was setha actually is that right um i think so 
Well, they, they, they're kind of living in a sort of isolation, um, partly because of the ghost, although we learn a little bit more later. But at the start of the book, it seems like the ghost is like at least, you know, a good 60-70% of why they are isolated the way they are. Um, anyway, as, as time goes on, um, baby Suggs kind of uh, becomes increasingly infirm to the point where she is... Um, her mind's kind of gone to a certain extent. Last week, um, my interpretation of that was that it was some sort of dementia or or Alzheimer's or so, something in that um, vicinity. However, uh, uh, you know, after getting to the end of the book, I think it becomes apparent that it is it is some sort of um, like profound uh, emotional and physical and spiritual exhaustion um but anyway that's so they're, they're living there and and uh baby Suggs continues to get worse and worse as i said she's uh she's exhausted she all she doesn't really talk she doesn't eat she doesn't really get out of bed all she wants to do is contemplate colors but uh crucially and this might we might come back around there, there's a lot of color symbolism in the in this book um particularly red um symbolizing all of the things red normally does you know violence anger hatred you know all, all of these things um but that it is it is very pointedly omitted that in, in that is pointedly omitted from baby sucks uh color rotation anyway after some time and this is we're still in the first chapter here. Uh, Paul D., a former, uh, a formerly enslaved man who worked at the same plantation as Setha, uh, arrives. Um, the former plantation that they worked at uh, was called Sweet Home. Uh, so we, we might, I don't know how important the name is, but just just for your reference there. And uh, they move. He moves in, and slowly over time they begin to form something of a family unit. I think it's clear that although um, Paul is not really want to put firm labels on things, uh, and that is an important aspect of his character, um, there is a sort of increasingly uh, close dynamic between him and Setha, and he wants to have one between him and Denver, her her daughter. Um, however, uh, Denver uh, is is not exactly um, excited about this prospect. She's kind of lived in a sort of isolation with her mother for some years. Um, it's it's not. I, I don't think it's made explicitly clear how old she is in the novel. Or, or, or how many years, rather, she's been uh, in this isolated state with her mother. But uh, it, it is clear that uh, they have been together for some time. And as such, uh, it, she's kind of developed a, something of a codependent um, relationship with her mother. Uh, real quick, uh, she's sure. 18 when the book starts. Oh, she's 18. You know, that that's a little older than I thought, I think, because... Well, here's that kind of goes back to my thing about she's been isolated so long. 
she has a certain childishness about her that is uh, very very interesting and I don't know I think I think the part of that is her isolation um, but you know that is having said that she does have a very strong relationship with her mother that's that like her and her mother are very very tightly bonded um, so which which is kind of in contrast to Paul D who has a sort of like he wants to love but he feels like he cannot afford to love in the same way um, we can maybe touch on that a little bit why he feels that way later but that's that's you know central to certain conversations that Paul has uh, not just here at the beginning but you know as the book goes along so as Paul D moves in um, they kind of begin this sort of cohabitation and um, that's kind of it it's kind of a Setha is kind of moved from this role as um, sort of like solely mother and caretaker to uh, to this this role of like lover and partner kind of situation and uh, so that, that that's but that, that kind of stirs up dynamics between her and Paldi it's it kind of and and given their shared history as having been slaves at the same plantation it starts it begins to sort of dredge up some sort of psychic trauma from their past anyway another consequence of Paldi moving in is a is a sort of ad hoc exorcism that he performs that that uh, banishes the, the ghost in in an almost uh, comical way he sort of just basically yells at the ghost to get out and uh what what was the thing did he smash he didn't smash a table but like what did no, he, he, he smash a table he smashed a table okay yeah, he basically yells at the ghost smashes a table and um uh, the ghost vanishes which is um kind of which is pretty humorous to me actually yeah i Um, I got a good chuckle out of that in my in my half asleep stupor it's it's kind of interesting that we see this um in this moment because the book as i first you know had heard of it it was kind of built not like as like horror horror but like somewhat horror a ghost story kind of situation um so so for that to happen so early on um uh, particularly because the book is very gives the ghost a very ominous presence sort of at the beginning like here's here's from the first page <clears throat> 124 was spiteful full of a baby's venom the women in the house knew it and so did the children you know, it's just, it's just like, it, it, you know, all of this stuff. And for, I think we talked about this last episode, but just to re-clarify, uh, 124 refers to their house, um, being that it is on 124 Bluestone Road. Um, so anyway, as, as Paul kind of like moves in, you know, and, and the, the, ten, the tension, uh, the sort of horror atmosphere is basically immediately dispelled. And it begins kind of sort of a story about a, a, a domestic um, family drama of sorts. 
uh, which so and they kind of build and there's kind of a, a little bit of a push and pull with between him and him and Denver and Denver kind of makes some pointed remarks and it's clear that she's kind of like tired of him hanging around and wants him to move on and so after a conversation with um, with Setha you know where it's it's like the begin it, it seemed like they were he was kind of working to a maybe not quite an ultimatum but he wanted her to take a firmer line against Denver and and she wanted him her she wanted he wanted Setha to to uh, you know sort of tell Denver to kind of respect him more and treat him a little bit ni- more nice. Um, but it kind of it kind of goes a little bit back. There's a little bit of a back and forth, and it kind of Paul Paul D decides instead of like, and this is this is another crucial point here. It's like there's Setha loves her children a lot so so much that you know there's this situ- she's very happy and very very much enjoying this this uh, new sort of cohabitation and like burgeoning relationship with Paul but she is like not willing whatsoever to uh, to risk or even really impose on her existing relationship with uh, with Denver to do anything about it so this kind of pushes Paul into a different tact and he decides instead of maybe you know getting getting uh setha to kind of crack down on denver a little bit maybe he's going to show her he's actually a pretty nice guy so he takes them to a carnival which is traveling in town and uh actually pretty much works uh denver has a great time setha you know they're they're kind of having a good time and they're as they're walking home um he's holding hands with setha she's holding hands with uh, him and Denver and there's this nice image of like the sun's kind of coming down and they, they're what they're seeing their shadow of like holding hands and it's it's this very very nice moment and you could be forgiven for thinking this is very strange that there was two these two seemingly large complications that they seem to be fixed um pretty early on where where are we going well uh, enter quick, uh, oh, go ahead. quick point of clarification they weren't holding hands it was that their shadows looked to setha like they were holding hands and she used that as like some sort of of good omen for their future together okay that's that's right well enter <laughs> enter beloved there is a there they as they're going home, they've come across a woman um, who is sitting you know by the road, and uh, she looks to be almost like she sort of popped into existence. Like she, her her clothes are clean and nice. Uh, her you know her her skin is like unblemished, undamaged. Um, she seems to be a little bit older than um, than Denver, uh, but that's really all that they can glean about her. And so they talk to her a little bit, and uh, she doesn't really have a lot of good answers for for what um, for why she is there or what she's where she's from. Um, 
really just just nothing she it, but they kind of write it off as well she's just been a, she's had a long journey she probably just doesn't feel well she's probably a little sick let's just let's just bring her home let her rest maybe give her a little food and you know maybe that'll help her and she'll she'll uh be you know she'll she'll move along in time so anyway over time uh denver and and uh begins to sort of take on something of a caretaking role uh towards beloved and uh beloved although she she very much seems to like denver um seems to uh really really be drawn to setha she you know asks her questions that uh that uh about her past um she she specifically asks about things that are like connected to sweet home like uh like this pair of earrings that setha actually received in the past um from the wife of her former master uh that the, the these earrings that were given to her as a sort of wedding present um it's not that that it was a real they it was it's it's i, I struggle quite, quite to say this but like her she was she was obviously she wanted to marry her husband a man named um hale and um they 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 were married in in a sort but they were there was not the sort of pageantry and and ceremony uh that that we often associate with the wedding um and so this was the gift was given in a sort of i if you were to read it you would see it was given in a very kind of patronizing uh way so that uh so so anyway they 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 get along um and now now that um paul d uh has kind of mended his situation with denver uh the situation with beloved starts to kind of be strange like he's he's a little bit unsure of her really from the beginning because she's not able to really answer any questions about herself or her past or where she's going but seems to have diagnosed a little bit about setha um there's just something about her as she even sort of to him gives off something of an aura beloved was shining and paul d didn't like it um that, that's how beloved looked gilded and shining so it's just there's just something about her that is kind of like projecting this sort of aura onto Paldi and and we we will kind of uh maybe expound on that a little bit later. But anyway, as as the uh the situation kind of is unfolding domestically, uh we are often uh given these flashbacks to various people's lives, but mostly Setha and a little bit later Paldi. Um we get this part of uh, Setha's uh, escape from Sweet Home, uh, where she is basically she's on the run, and she's she's heavily pregnant with uh, with Denver, 
and she's uh, pretty much she's pretty much uh, you know dying and she she's trying to get to the uh, get to the Ohio River to cross over into Ohio when she meets this uh, white woman named Amy Denver who is a little bit of a of a strange character um, I know Dusty you mentioned something about her last week um, yeah I just wanted to eventually get to a point where we could talk about this whole sequence so yeah and uh, so they, they're going and um, it, it's very sort of uh, adventures of Huck Finn kind of vibe I think there's there's sort of that it's the this sort of like uh alliance between like this sort of very uh young and destitute sort of uh you know white white uh worker white young person kind of and this sort of this enslaved woman um in in the, in the case of Sepha and they sort of and even though even though Amy is uh not what we would consider um very tactful <laughs> she her heart seems to be in the right place as she seems to be you know very gentle with with Setha she's very uh instrumental in fact in getting her across the river um she's very you know uh, Setha has to stop because she has uh you know bad swelling in her legs and I think she had been uh freshly beaten at the time and so she helps to like sort of kind of care for her a little bit and she kind of begins this sort of this pattern where she was you know she sees the uh the the, the beginnings of the scarring take take place on Seba's back after her the beating that she took in, uh, uh, immediately prior to uh escaping from sweet home and she refers to it as uh looking like a a, a choke cherry tree and that's sort of that is something that's sort of emblematic of uh, Setha's character, sort of like this the, the this scar that it looks like a tree. We see it in the scene, the the intimate sequences with her and Paldi, where he's you know kissing her scar and all of that. It's it's sort of it's very it's a very tangible uh, reminder and uh, symbol of of her time and of the you know as a slave. So anyway, they they go ahead and they they get they get her across the river, and um, and uh, she she helps give birth to Den to Denver. She essentially uh, midwife's Denver, and um, you know they are you know and then they they part on good terms, um, and she she presumably heads towards uh, Boston, which is where she was looking to go. Uh, was was there something specific you wanted to talk about there? Uh, not anything like hyper hyper specific just kind of like I don't know I just thought it was a really good section with um, like you said this kind of Huck Finn-esque kind of thing of these um, unlikely uh, for lack of a better term bedfellows uh, in this situation and just the, the the almost like comedy of it yeah it, it is it is in a certain way very uh, darkly comic because Amy is going on about what is that sort of fabric that she velvet yeah and she's like yeah you don't know anything about velvet do you and setha who's trying not to die is just like no 
I don't know anything about Velvet. <laughs> you know, just it's, it, it is darkly comedic in that way. Um, but it is, in the end, ultimately, Amy is is a force for good because she is, you know, like I said, she's very helpful and in in a way very tender with Setha, who who is in a very uh, vulnerable spot. And uh, as you probably picked up, her name being Amy Denver, you know, Setha's daughter is named Denver, you know. So, obviously, she made quite a, an ultimately very positive impression on, uh, on Setha. Paul D. recalls uh, an experience he had as a member of a, of a chain gang. And uh, it is, um, well, it is about the worst that you could think that you could imagine being a uh, being a black black man on the chain gang in the 1800s i think i forget exactly i think he was he was because at the time uh we don't necessarily have the full context of why he is on the chain gang but i think it is related to his you know his attempted escape that he was uh he was also trying to affect at the same time as seth they were they were part of a of a, of a plan of several slaves to try to escape from the plantation due to um, deteriorating conditions. Uh, but anyway, he's he's on the chain gang. He is being. Um, I I don't need want to go quite into extreme detail, but he's being abused in every imaginable way, um, and all of the slaves are, and um, it is it is uh, genuinely a. A stomach-turning, um, stomach-turning passage. Just, just reading about, you know, just the, the the raw evil and avarice that was being displayed to them. So anyway, eventually, they're they're kind of they're kind of left in in something of the, an enclosure, and it begins to sort of rain, and the enclosure floods, and with the flooding. Um, Paul D and uh, and some of the other slaves are finally able to to escape, and he kind of uh, wander, wanders through the wilderness. I think they they pretty much go their separate ways because, you know, they figure they would have better luck if it was just a if it was just a group of them going. It would probably, you know, draw attention, get word would spread, so they just essentially go all go their own way. Well, if I remember and, right, uh, it's like some do because there were forty-six of them, and others because they get they get picked up by basically a group of Cherokee. Well, I, I thought Paul D kind of stumbled on them. I, I think it was a it, at the very least some of them. Uh, like I think some of them went on their separate ways, but others stayed together, and that's how they found the. Uh, that's how they they stumbled upon the the group of uh, uh, Cherokee men. Okay. I could I'm, be a little glad, a little off. It's 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 you know. It's been I'm glad you're well. I'm glad you're here to to clarify these things because I'm trying to give a very broad summary because there's a lot. To, I'm trying to get a whole capture a whole book. So I'm sure if 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 I if I overgeneralize or misremember, please uh, hop in and and uh, clarify. So anyway, Paul D and you know he he comes on this group of uh, Cherokee, and they they actually help him they're very instrumental in his his uh, freedom in a certain respect because they uh he is still chained up when he he makes it to them so they are able to uh to cut his chains 
and uh, kind of give him a general um, understanding of the situation and where he needs to go and and that kind of thing. So that is actually a very, very nice moment, a very sort of, um, a very powerful moment in terms of uh, the sort of a solidarity between two oppressed peoples. And it, it kind of brings to mind things like the, uh, you know, with the, during like the civil rights movement and in the, the aftermath of that and the American Indian movement and the, the you know, that sort of, I, if I had to guess, I would say something like that might also have been a little bit um, present in in Morrison's mind, if not just the general, uh, you know, sense of solidarity between oppressed peoples. Anyway, he's uh, he he basically uh, kind of continues to sneak his way north, and he he runs into. Um, he, he sees people along the way um, that are, you know, kind of in similar circumstances as him, some very young, and he kind of, and this is kind of what I was referencing earlier, is like there's like a lot of, for reasons that are, you know, usually kind of dark, you know, a lot of young, young men, uh, young black men specifically, you know, they have to take to the road in these times, and they just kind of disappear one day, and they kind of have to fend for themselves and it is it is very sad um you know it's just it's just anyway it's just it's just unthinkable to to think that there's that that's basically that's how it was at one point um so there he continues to get go head north and he kind of he eventually finds this uh this woman in delaware and he stays with her for for a good time um but ultimately, I think I think the way that it is portrayed in the book may be a little bit as a result of his his trauma. He is he is not able to stay in one place for very long, and this is kind of something that he kind of you know we, we talked about. He's just not he does not want to get too attached because he's seen it happen in in. Um, other other people that he's known and from his the sweet home uh era he's he's seen people that they they get attached to another person and then he just see they something terrible happens and it just it just mentally destroys them uh when when something when something bad happens which happened quite a lot in his you know in, in the experience of black people and his personal experience um so anyway, after that, uh, they kind of um, were kind of back to the present, more or less. And uh, Setha and Denver and Beloved go on a little bit of a little bit of a remembrance slash hike to this clearing in the woods where um, Baby Suggs used to um, how 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 quite to put it like like. Spirit, do spiritual gatherings um and we kind of get a little bit of the context of baby Suggs. she was a um she was a a sort of like what how did they put it was it the like an un, unchurched preacher something like that yeah uh, she went calling i think is what they called it yeah they they, they she basically gave 
uh, sermons of a sort there, and they kind of hosted religious you know, or spiritual gatherings. And it was, you know, it was very nice, very, very important for the, uh, the black community in Cincinnati um, as she, when she lived there. Um, I guess I should probably, we should probably mention uh, Baby Suggs was, her, her freedom was, was purchased by her son, um, Hale, who was, who was essentially uh, able to take on extra work you know he, he was able to to convince his his uh, owner uh gardner uh mr gardner and he he uh you know takes on these things like on sundays and at night and he's able to gather a little bit of money to purchase you know the freedom of his mother who is you know uh quite old and you know and uh disabled so essentially that he's able to uh to get enough money and then you know he's she goes she's taken to um to cincinnati and she's kind of essentially in in a in a way that was i thought was very uh kind of interesting we showed how she kind of is kind of integrated into the 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 local community and it, it, it was it that's a very interesting uh portion of the book in and of itself but it's just it's just um i don't know that that essentially though we we're kind of at the clearing and you know um setha is kind of talking about all these things and um she kind of like she's sitting there and she's kind of like talking about how baby sugs would kind of rub her neck and um as she's kind of she kind of has her eyes closed and she kind of feels these fingers begin to massage her neck and uh at first she kind of she's kind of like oh this is kind of nice and but the the fingers um begin to choke her and um you know she she's kind of she's concerned she's like she thinks that it, it's it's a beloved massaging her and then it's choking and then she kind of like kind of snaps into reality and then there's like this sort of awkward moment where especially Denver is aghast because she thinks that Beloved just tried to kill her mom and uh but Beloved is is you know not she doesn't she says that that didn't happen anyway speaking of of Beloved and what she's she's doing she's exerting this sort of unnatural force on Paul D that's making it so that he is he's beginning to feel very uncomfortable and uneasy in the house like he he gets forced out of uh, Seth's bedroom and he tries to go to another room and after a while there too he's kind of like forced downstairs and downstairs into uh, into the the cold house so he's basically being driven out of the house like over time and um at one one night when he is sleeping in the cold house uh beloved enters the house the cold house and uh essentially using using those those that power that influence over him um coerces him into uh, having sex with her 
and that that kind of um, that begins that that kind of like sets Paul D down a, a pretty dark path. Uh, he of like of remembering things that were very painful, and also driving him out of the house, which is as beloved tells Denver later what she wants. She wants Paul D to leave uh, one hundred twenty four. And um, let's see. I'm trying to think about. I think there's a. Um, then we kind of get a little bit back to the baby Sug story. And she she's uh, she's waiting in Cincinnati for her son um, and and Setha to escape and for their children to come and a few others to to come from Sweet Home. And you know they, there's they've gotten word over there that there's a plan they they're getting ready to uh, to receive them, and uh, you know she's getting a party together. Um, but only only Setha arrives, and um, to Baby Sugg's credit, even though she, I'm sure she was you know heartbroken uh, that her her son never turned up. She she nevertheless um, is is rejoicing that Setha and her grandchildren were able to escape, and so she hosts this big celebration, and the community comes out, and um, it is it is a uh, quite the lavish affair. Um, there there talk about like all these these pies and. All this food that's been prepared, and it is just a just a real, a real bounty, and um, it is it it is really good, but it kind of rubs people the wrong way in a, in a way that is difficult, at least from my vantage point to understand. Is this and she is kind of given over to the feeling that she's offended them with a sort of exaggerated sense of, of pride and uh, you know maybe maybe kind of rubbing it in their face a little bit and um, to that and she kind of she begins to get this sort of sense that you know something bad is coming so because of this sort of sense of of enmity that the community developed as as a result of the of the well-intended uh, party, they 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 don't really give advance warning to uh, to the to the people at 124 that that this is this is going to happen, and so they so so they they're they're taken unawares, and Setha as she sees a you know, school teacher coming. She gathers her children, and she kind of goes to the shed in the back. And um, when they when they burst into the shed, they they see that she has already killed one child with a saw, and is preparing to kill. I think in the instance that we're seeing it, there they she sees the other. They see like uh, Howard and Bugler. They're kind of like standing off to the side, kind of in. The, with this sort of sense of abject horror and uh she's swinging i think she's getting ready to swing baby denver against uh this this post and 
in an attempt to, to kill her. Yeah, this and, this um, this scene was 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 tough. This is a very horrendous scene, and I think it is very it's very upsetting. And um, but for, from Setha's perspective, she is pretty much she is she's been traumatized and i think i've skipped over a lot of stuff i I don't i don't know how good a job i'm actually doing here but there's there's a bunch of incidents that have happened that are that we've seen in sepha's past that are just very just just unimaginable like like abuse and pain and she is in this moment um reacting in this way to try to try to save in some sense her children from being subjected to the same sort of experience yeah there was trying go ahead oh sorry there was this great line that was said by um it might have been it might have been her actually when she's talking to to somebody about it uh where it was it said she was trying to out hurt the herders yeah it was something like that i think that was her but that was it was it's a really tough scene but you know from her perspective you know a a recently escaped you know uh enslaved woman she had no real way of of knowing or having any faith that her children would ever receive emancipation and um you know because at that time they they it's not like they were keeping their their slaves up to date on like the you know the state of the political discourse and you know i'm sure they're you know they they weren't able many weren't able to read or write and so you know i I think she is she was just in this moment of of just genuine and profound horror and terror she does what she the only thing she can to prevent the children from being slaves and uh but when the uh the 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 four men who came to uh to bring bring them back kind of burst in they kind of see this and um well the school school teacher he just he gets pretty annoyed and he's just like ah this she's she's too crazy to work and then he basically kind of storms off and uh takes takes his uh takes his nephew and the slave catcher with him and they just they get ready they just leave and uh the 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 sheriff kind of takes her into custody and um you know this is the this is a story that is later related by a man named stamp paid um who was one of the men he was he was there to witness it i think he was in the yard chopping some wood when it happened he and, was uh, the one that uh, that found Setha after Amy left her, and the one that brought her to Baby Suggs in the first place. Uh, he was also the one that picked the blackberries that they used for that that big party, the two buckets full. And uh, he's the one that rescued Denver from Setha as she was trying to swing her into the wall. Yeah. So that that's that's how he he kind of has a first hand knowledge of it, but he also 
has this printing from a newspaper uh, that has an, an has a has a an account of of the event, and he tries to tell Paul D about it, and Paul D is a little bit. He tries. He is. He's disbelieving, at you know at, at first, even though you can tell he's kind of realizing what is happening, and he. But he's just trying to give any sort of excuse that he can to not believe it. But it is. It is. He can tell that it is in fact the truth, and so he kind of he comes home, and uh, he he talks to. Uh, he talks to Setha about it, and um, well, there's it, it's it, it doesn't go well um, because Setha she she's still pretty unapologetic about about the whole thing. She's like, no, I did what I had to do. Um, you know, I I had to I had to do that to prevent them from you know from being enslaved and Paul D. You know, and and this is one that you you can really see that the skill of Morrison as a writer, because both characters have very, you know, strong arguments, and both are very, um, you know, well you know well stated. But uh, essentially, the 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 it kind of the argument breaks down, and he he says, um, "You have two legs, not four as he's leaving kind of insinuating kind of in, in a very insulting way that she is not human for what or or acting in an inhuman way for doing what she did and i think it's one of the things that's interesting is i think while there is some sort of judgment on the part of the characters you know they they all they they react to seth's decision in a lot of different ways i don't think morrison herself uh, comes down too hard one way or the other or at the very least she does she she lets she she kind of leaves it for the reader to sort of puzzle out this sort of unthinkable and uh incredible choice you know and not incredible in a good way but like just unbelievable you know just something that and I don't want to really moralize too deeply I think this is I'm sure there are some sort of philosophers that would that would just have a field day with this. I I tend to believe this is something that you could think you know, you would know what you would do in this kind of circumstance. I don't I just I don't think you can really know unless you were in the circumstance and I think what you might do could potentially surprise you. And that's really all that I have to say about it. I think it's just it's a very it's I don't want to necessarily get dig too deep into this choice. I just think it's 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 very it's a very well presented um, uh, moral dilemma. Yeah, and it's one of those things to where it's like I understand completely her logic and her reasoning behind it. I I, I see it. I'm not like confused by it, but it's one of those things to where I I just you know I could never never ever support that decision i i think she was remarkably in the wrong i think that's i think that's a pretty pretty safe thing to say but uh but all that being said um i do agree with the sentiment that was uh brought forward that um if she didn't do what she did 
uh, her children would have probably died by the hands of school teacher or someone else. One way or the other. I, I do think that she changed the fate of her surviving children by killing her oldest daughter. But it, it just kind of, it, it, it turns into a question of, can you justify saving three lives by taking one? It's, it, this, this is a, this is very much a, um, a massive philosophical discussion that like, I, I also don't want to get too into the weeds about, but I, I do think that she did technically, by as much of a technicality as you can have, save the lives of her other children by doing that. But what she like, did was unforgivable. I think I think Morrison, like I said, said it best is like she she I wish I remembered the exact phrasing. But it was like essentially she she made the right call ultimately, but she had no right to do it. Yeah, and I think that is a very very correct way to put that because it, it is it is a, it is an, an unspeakable act for sure. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So after all of that happens, um, kind of a stamp begins to he begins to feel bad because he 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 wonder he starts to kind of question his own motive for revealing um setha's past to paldi whether there was some sort of like i don't know some sort of like lingering resentment that he had towards towards setha and he kind of goes to like check in on them because they you know just to see how they're doing and um as he arrives to to the 124, he hears strange noises and strange voices uh, coming from the house, and uh, kind of like filling him with this sense of immense dread. And as he looks through the window, he sees beloved. So, meanwhile, kind of in the house, um, Setha, who is increasingly falling under the influence of beloved begins to kind of um, experience these sort of stream of conscience remembrances of her past. Um, and these are very done in a very interesting way. They can be very difficult to parse at times. Um, at least I had a hard time. Maybe maybe I'm <laughs> maybe I'm signaling my weakness as a reader, perhaps. But No, you you are not alone there. <laughs> it can be difficult to uh, to kind of parse what she's saying but you kind of over time you kind of develop a little bit of a facility in kind of what she is talking about right and um one of the th she begins to kind of one of the things i remember her talking about in addition to just just her past remembrances is like um her she essentially she she she's can't she can't let go I, she can't forgive herself for the she, there's she's in, in a true mental bind where she cannot forgive herself for what she did to her you know her, her first child and but at the same time she cannot dissociate herself 
from the immense feeling of love that drove her to to kill her i know and i know that sounds strange but I, again remember the context of the of of the of the moment where she had to make that decision um and she's so she's kind of like in this sort of like unresolvable sort of mental thing it is like there's not there's no, there's there's no way to really square these two these two conflicting realities and so she's kind of she's kind of tortured by that and um i think there's there's we also get a little bit of the internal monologue of of uh denver and of you know which is essentially her being very concerned about what's happening and she's she first she loved beloved because she's and this is this is something that I, I wish I had commented on earlier, but the characters have come. Setha and initially Denver come to believe that this girl beloved is the reincarnation of Setha's or some kind of reincarnation is the best way I can put it of of Setha's eldest daughter. Um, one of the clues that, you know, we talked about this last time, was the etching into her tombstone of she was only able to afford just the word beloved. And as we said last week, that was kind of my initial hint that, oh, that's what's going on here. Um, anyway, but the, the characters themselves at this point have become convinced that that is what's going on. And... Um, there, there that's anyway Denver's having to navigate this feeling where she's like yes I I love my sister and, and this this sort of this ghost has kept me company through these many years even though we were very alone and you know I've I've I loved that that was actually the source of her negative feeling towards Paul D was he was he essentially exercised the house of beloved and um you know that was so so now so in that moment she felt like she was really and truly alone um despite you know i i think there's there's still a argument to be made that she had some sort of um a trauma of a sort of you know because she had really only her mother to rely on and socialize with even you know low those many years so and then there's this chapter that is like the free kind of the thoughts of beloved and that was one that i just i really that was one i, I really struggled to understand um but Dude, there, I there was i couldn't there was tell a, you a thing that happened in that one there was a lot of references to like men without skin and basically we're what i came away with it was that beloved she was not she she was not in a restful um afterlife and she was tortured not only by you know her own sort of violent end but also there was like 
and the, you know obviously the fear she must have felt and pain and all of that um even though she was a, essentially a baby at the time but her you know is nevertheless experienced uh, you know an unbelievable sort of pain fear and though she may not have had words for it a sense of betrayal uh by setha you know um given again she was a baby uh but anyway she she kind of she has a very disorganized way of speaking and thinking and it's kind of haunting um just basically all of these chapters are like setha towards the end kind of sounds almost like she's like brainwashed you know and brainwashed by beloved and it's just it's very this part was very scary actually it was it was very chilling um brainwashed possessed what what have you and how however you want to 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 sort of uh describe that and and it's things like this that give me the sort of there are sort of dissenting opinions that you will find floating out and about in writing about the book that you'll find online where people will argue that beloved was not necessarily uh, a sort of evil reincarnation but rather a woman that was kept in some sort of like like i don't know it was i'm trying i struggle to remember exactly what the, what the point they were trying but they were saying there are hints given throughout the book that beloved may have been this other woman that was you know maybe kidnapped exactly but was being kind of held against her will in sort of like this she was kind of a prisoner of sorts and or was like enslaved after the time of slavery that kind of thing and i don't know i i, I just think between this and the this sort of weird energy she's able to exert on paul d to compel him to do things i don't know i i don't have a lot of sympathy for this idea of her being not a supernatural presence in some way um but anyway that that's kind of that's kind of beside the point we'll, we'll go ahead and try to wrap up relatively quick um as as uh things go along you know there is this nice moment where they're kind of skating on on the and it seems like things are getting are are being good and they've they've created this new family but there's things kind of rapidly begin to worsen shortly after that with with setha becoming more frail and more dominated by beloved um who who seems very eager to sort of um use setha's sense of guilt and um you know her sense of guilt against her and setha will you know kind of fight back every now and again but ultimately is pretty browbeaten by beloved who who is basically given everything she wants like whether that is fancy clothes or food of of any kind you know setha begins to become get later and later into work until eventually she is fired and 
she's okay with that because now she can spend more time with beloved and it's it's really really dark um this is a really dark portion of the book and it's it's it shows a very unhealthy dynamic here um and this, denver oh good uh this could be me a little off base a bit but uh it, it felt to me like a a bit of a manifestation of of grief I mean, I think I don't think that that's wrong. I think there's a big portion of that. I think, I think. Beloved exists, not just as like a. Excuse me, <clears throat> beloved exists not just as like a like a. Character, or a malevolent entity, or however you want to feel about her, but she exists also as a sort of metaphor for like the the past and like the the uh the 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 trauma the grief all you know all of the the painful experiences of slavery kind of kind of made into a person so she exists as both character and metaphor if that makes sense yeah, I mean that's not uncommon. No, and no, certainly not. I just I think, and there's even things that we we've even said some characters are not really characters; they're metaphors or plot devices. But in this case, she very much is a character, but also a metaphor. Yeah. So, it, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, and it makes for uh, some some very vivid imagery. Yeah, there, there's a lot of vivid imagery. I, I, I wish we could get into some more of this, but I think we're, you know, we're we're kind of getting a little bit long, and we need to. We're close to the end, so we we might as well wrap up. And so anyway, as Setha continues to kind of fall more and more under the spell of Beloved, um, things get pretty destitute over 124, and Denver is kind of forced into a situation where she has to leave um and i'm sure this is this is a very uh this i'm sure this rang true for many people who've read it it's, it, it's just like a very not that this is something i know of personally but i've you know known people that they they are just in these very unhealthy environments and then just that one day even if they by most objective standards are not really ready to be out in the world are essentially like I just gotta go like there's there's I, I i can't just i can't live like this anymore and so she kind of goes and she she meets um she meets some people in the community and they kind of point her into the direction of the bodwins who are this uh brother and sister duo that have kind of since the days of slavery kind of been they they were like they were abolitionists and they they've kind of they've they've essentially been trying to to do their do what they can to sort of help the the black community and so they kind of point her in that direction and she's uh she kind of meets meets their uh their maid Janie and they kind of like talk about it and she essentially spills the spills what's happening there um 
and this is you know and that kind of works its way there's a scene where they kind of works its way through the rumor mill and the people of the town kind of they realize that in some ways this is their fault too this is their mess because they they were not sort of they they didn't stand up for her and the or they didn't stand up for setha and or at least warned them in the past that it has created this situation that um where setha is now uh, literally and figuratively imprisoned by the past and um so they go and you know they they they, they, they kind of works its way through the rumor mill and uh and uh Denver is at home and she's waiting for uh the Bodwins to pick her up for for work because she they live in town she lives a little bit out in the country and so two things are kind of happening at the same time uh, Mr. Bodwin is kind of like in his his carriage and he's going back and he's kind of having memories and recollections of his days in the as an abolitionist and he's remembering you know the because that that's actually his house um on 124 bluestone road and he's kind of remembering things that happened at the house many years ago and you know while that's happening a group of people are beginning to gather in the community and they're beginning to walk towards the house you know and as they go along more people and more people are joining them and um they they get towards as they get they get to 124 they get there a little bit before uh, mr bodwin and they're kind of in a sort of um religious ecstasy of a kind and they're in an attempt to kind of uh to exercise um the, the evil of the house and at, at the same time we got mr bodwin who is approaching and um you know he sees him coming for sure setha sees him coming he knows he, she knows he's coming for denver and in her sort of deteriorated mental state she grabs an ice pick and uh and tries to attack mr bodwin think mistaking him as for a uh, school teacher coming back to to try to claim them again and uh but denver is uh denver essentially stops her from this and the other woman kind of like wrestle her to the ground but in the confusion um beloved disappears and this is very interesting to me because it's in, in a strange way it just it doesn't really resolve in the usual way there's no great conflagration there is no fight between denver and beloved or setha and beloved or anything like that it's just in the confusion beloved disappears and we we don't know what happens and i'm sure that if you were just kind of following along uh from from my description you haven't read the book um perhaps that might seem anticlimactic and certainly when i first read it I, I i couldn't believe it i just kept rereading like the two or three page stretch like two like a few times just to be like what am i missing here but that's just kind of what it is and i think that is true of just the way that 
the the book is is and it, it is true of that experience at that time that I keep hitting back on this is you know this is a time of that is was very unsettled things happened you know you knew someone suddenly that person was gone you know and that that kind of thing and I think that sort of that sort of sense of disloc <clears throat> sense of dislocation that sort of um, it is part and parcel of what Morrison is communicating in this book. And so after we after all that happens, it's kind of we see uh, Denver and she she runs into Paul D on her way to work. And Denver is her everything is different about her, but in a good way. She seems a lot more mature. And especially in her way of speaking, she seems to have her own sort of like, like composure. And I don't know, it's just, it's very, it's, 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 it's very heartening. She's, she seems to be kind of putting her life together. She's doing so much better. And, um, Paul D is talking to her and she, he kind of, in a way that was very interesting, almost asks for Denver's permission to go talk to her mom and she's like well you know she essentially just lets him and she and he he goes in there and he kind of reconnects with setha who is at this point um bedridden and she just cannot um <clears throat> she she just can't get out of bed and he he likens her to as you said to, to baby sugs he's like don't you die on me this is baby sugs bed is that what you're planning? You know, that he's kind of, uh, he's, he is kind of worried that she has gone the way of baby Suggs, who kind of was so beat down by her life towards the end and all the, like the, <clears throat> all of the terrible things that had happened to her. It was just too much. And she was just, she was just done. He's, you know, asked her, what are you planning? She's, Oh, I don't have no plans. No plans at all. And, uh, you know, he's he's saying, you know, hey, you know, Denver's going to be here. You know, she'll take care of you during the day. I'll come take care of you at night. You know, here, come on. Let, you know, he's, he's just like, let me bathe you. And he's, he's trying to, uh, you know, he's trying to reconnect with her. He's trying to start taking care of her. And she kind of is like, she she she's not having it at first and she she kind of rejoins she asks him if he's there to count her feet you know kind of circling us back to that argument and uh he says no i'm here to rub your feet kind of to kind of indicate that he's he's kind of <clears throat> so i don't think i ever mentioned it but i i mentioned i i, I did mention it in in passing but then we're kind of back to Paul D being afraid to love he is now no longer afraid to love he's you know he's here you know to 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 care for her and to try to help her to get better to live you know out however many years she may have left you know and I don't know she I think it is is kind of pretty it goes pretty well I mean there they talk a little bit and um I'm just flipping through 
and he basically <clears throat> well she she talks here there's something here at the end that needs some con contextualization when she talks about when she's going back on her sort of recollection of her murdering beloved or her killing beloved however you want to say it um she's she has like she she talks about how beloved and and her children are her best thing and they are they represent the part of her that is unsullied and she talks about how you know the the, the sort of the racism and slavery that she experienced had and and you know abuse that she suffered had a sort of sullying effect it, it dirtied her it's a, it something to the effect of it dirtied you to the point where you didn't even like yourself anymore that kind of thing <clears throat> and she did not want she did not want uh slavery to to sully you know her best thing which you know for her is her children and uh you know it kind of ends with this you know paul d says um he leans over and takes her hand. With the other, he touches her face. You are your best thing, Sepe. You are. His fingers holding... His holding fingers are holding hers. Me? Me? And that, that's kind of how that, that part ends. And it's... Um, I don't know. I think it, it kind of ends on a, on a somewhat hopeful note. I, I like to think, you know, for the last let's call it 20 years of their life you know or hopefully longer you know you know paul and and setha you know could be together and to the extent that they could you know kind of move on from their past and 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 built a, a relatively happy life together yeah and um i feel like for all intents and purposes that is the end of the book despite there being two more pages after that Mm -hmm. but those like last two pages are more kind of like a culmination of what beloved was it feels like <clears throat> yeah and that th this kind of like goes on you're like you're saying to the fate of beloved it was um <clears throat> it's kind of interesting because it, it's also kind of creepy in its way where it's um everybody knew what she was called but nobody anywhere knew her name disremembered and unaccounted for she cannot be lost because no one is looking for her and even if they were how can they call her if they don't know her name although she has claimed she is not claimed in the place where the long grass opens the girl who waited to be loved and cry <clears throat> the girl who waited to be loved and cry shame erupts into her separate parts to make it easy for the chewing laughter to swallow her all away it was not a story to pass on you know, and it goes on, you know, kind of like, you know, in, in that sort of vein. And it just, you know, every paragraph, you know, ending with, it was not a story to pass on. Um, I don't know. It, it, it kind of like goes on and it's just, it kind of ends with, um, <clears throat> down by the stream in the back of 124, her footprints come and go, come and go. They are so familiar. Should a child, an adult, place his feet in them, they will fit. Take them out and they will disappear again as though no one ever walked there. By and by all trace is gone. And what is forgotten is not only the footprints, but the water too and what is down there. The rest is weather. Not the breath of the disremembered and unaccounted for, but the wind in the eaves. 
or spring ice thawing too quickly. Just weather. Certainly no clamor for a kiss. Beloved. And that's how it ends. And so that sort of brings to mind the dedication. Um, 60 million and more. Uh, referencing, of course, you know, the, you know, the, the, the slavery, you know, and, and you know, the, the victims of slavery and all that. And so I think that's kind of, that's, you know, that kind of goes back into what we're talking about. Where Beloved, who did not ever really get to live her own life, existed as this sort of free-floating, semi-corporeal, semi-conscious, well, maybe fully, I don't know. Some, but this sort of semi-formed amalgamation of, of pain, of suffering, and, and, and of the, um, you know, the experience and traumas of slavery. But, you know, like I said, that, that kind of ends on a, very, on a kind of creepy and ominous note. But in other ways, you know, I feel like certainly, you know, Denver, well, let's just be honest here. She's not going to have an easy life, but her life seems to be going in the right direction. And Setha and Paul D seem to be going in the right direction. And I think in a sad way, that's kind of the best you can hope for. You know, there there may not be a true happily ever after for these people, but at least they have each other, and at least they are kind of coming to terms with what has happened to them. And so initially, I was planning on saying all of that in about 30 minutes. I don't know. I have not watched the timer. We are in, oh my god. An hour. Yeah, don't worry, I have. <laughs> <laughs> So, hopefully, you guys got something of that. <laughs> I was hoping to do a little bit more analysis, but I, I feel like even just that sort of bare bones, in my opinion, just amateurish and bare bones retelling of Beloved <clears throat> was a lot. And, uh, I, you know, I tried to relate what I could. And I think, you know, I, I strongly recommend this book. There is a lot really going on in there. There's stuff we didn't get to. <laughs> There's stuff that's in greater detail um, <laughs> that, that than we had time for, or you know, it's just it's just it's a phenomenal book. It is it it is probably one of the best books, if not the best book we've covered, and I I cannot recommend this. Uh, enough I, I recommend this genuinely I think everybody should read it it is it is uh, not always an easy read I will say that it is there's content as I am often saying nowadays content warning all you know it's just like anything bad that you could think of and be concerned about that in this kind of story it pretty much happens and it, it is very dark in a lot of ways but there is a very strong um, and very human um, thread running through it. And it is ultimately very heartening, very touching, um, and very nourishing in a way. It, is, it, it may not be the, the fun read always. I mean, there are entertaining aspects of it, certainly. But it is kind of, it is pretty dark and it is... But it is very 
nourishing and i think it is something that i would strongly recommend i think you you people you will not regret reading it certainly um i think it is a great book um and that's about it that's i think that's all i have to say yeah i feel like the the best way i can describe this book is it it feels it feels necessary and i think i said as much last week as well but I, I just I don't really have another word I feel is kind of apt for me, and mm-hmm. it's it's I don't know it's such a weird place to be because there's like I said earlier I, I just kind of left feeling empty and I don't want that to sound like it was out of disappointment or any feelings of like lackluster or anything like that it's it's i'd say it's closer to your statement of it being nourishing than anything else my 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 comment of of feeling empty because it's like it's almost like after you go through a very intense and uh arduous task and afterwards you have that that sense of of relief that sense of like emptiness and that sense of like I guess closure for lack of a better term mm-hmm. and that's just kind of where I'm at with this to where it's like I feel I feel like I I, I don't know it, it's really tough to explain I don't know if I'm if I'm doing it any justice but it's it's such a weird feeling of just sorrow and hope because like knowing what I know living in insert current year here um, I think it's safe to say that um, conditions have improved so there is a sense of hope especially on Denver's end of a future I personally believe that Paul D and um, Setha. I don't. I didn't necessarily pick up a hope for the future for them. I saw it more as a grasping for a future, um, like trying to find that hope where there was none. But trying to find that hope in each other when there's nothing left in either of them. But I think that extends mostly to um, to Denver because Denver is the one that has a future, has as close as we can say to a happy ending, and I, I don't know. I, I I'm feeling very scatterbrained. Uh, but I, I feel like this this was a book about humanity at its core, all of the all of the good and all of the bad just kind of laid out in its purest rawest most unapologetic form and that makes for a very conflicting read to say the least sure so I don't know how I feel at this point not truly I like I said uh, I feel like this, this book was necessary I feel like 
it's it's given me something to look at that I could not have seen otherwise. And it's just that's kind of what I mean by nourishing. By the way, I don't mean like chicken soup for the soul because this is a very harrowing read. But it's like it, it, that's what I'm saying is like it's it's needed and it gives you <clears throat> if you engage with it in the right way. I think it it, it gives you. It gives you a, a, a better perspective of the world and of the context that we live in. Yeah. And I feel like there's no better way to try to better yourself than to put yourself out there into experiences that are not comfortable, that are not um, safe. And not safe like, you know, oh, I, you could hurt yourself or die, but like safe like your, your safe space, your safe zone. Uh, things that make you feel uncomfortable, things that make you question uh, things you might have thought in the past, things that ostensibly broaden your horizons. And I'd say even something as simple as a book can do that. And I'd say that this is a book that does do that. And that once again, and I've said this quite a few times now, is one of the reasons why I feel like this book is necessary because this is a book that shows you despite it being fiction well it's based on a true story actually i mean like the the ghost and all that but like morrison pardon me morrison uh talked about uh you know when she was she was inspired by she was like doing i think doing some research on another or editing another book and she ran across this uh news article from the 1850s about uh, this this woman who who killed her her children in the very similar way that Setha did, and uh, you know how it became this sort of um, moment where people, especially abolitionists or people that are on the fence, began were really reckoning with how terrible slavery was, and like you know it was it was a real gut check moment for a lot of people. Like what are we doing? You know. Yeah. Well, but that, we'll, like the, the like the, the beloved and all that 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 I mean they t- take on fictionalized elements, but the core of that is like this is real. You know. Yeah, and that 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 does still go in line with what I was going to say because what I was going to say is while this is fiction, this is a story about truth. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you picked a you picked a great book for February. So, yeah. Well, I guess with that, I don't. There's no, really nothing else to say. Um, you know, please check out this book. I we usually I'd usually just kind of leave it there, but uh, <clears throat> this is my my genuine. I am genuinely asking. Anybody who is listening to this that has not read the book, um, that read it for a class in high school or college or whatever, and maybe didn't look at it very, you know, very deeply, maybe just kind of skimmed over it. Like, anyway, all this to say, I I strongly encourage everybody to read this book. It's a wonderful book. Um, And yeah, 
thank you everybody for for listening um this has been another episode of sad boys book club and uh we'll see you next time yep take care